Hi, everyone. I'm Rob Rosalenko, director of the Joseph T. Quinlan Bereavement Center in Karen and Quinlan Hospice. And I want to welcome you to Grief Matters, conversations about life and death. No subject is off limits and no topic is taboo. I want to invite you to send in your questions about anything end of life, dying, death, and grief. Hello, and welcome to a special. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Grief Matters and our podcast from the Joseph T. Quinlan Bereavement Center. I'm glad that you could join us today to talk about coping with grief and loss. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that the Quinlan Bereavement Center offers individual sessions group sessions, and other forms of community support. And we can do individual sessions through in-person, uh, virtual, or phone sessions. So you can call our main office in Augusta uh, for more information at 973-948-2283. Or you can look us up online at karenandquinlanhospice.org slash bereavement center. So today we've got a treat for everyone. Uh, we are joined by clinical social worker and best-selling author Mia Roldan, who has written two grief journal books uh, titled How I Feel, A Grief Journal for Kids, and Navigating Grief, A Guided Journal, as well as co-authored Voices of Strength, Sons and Daughters of Suicide Speak Out. She's the senior clinical social worker for the Adolescent Specialty Clinic with Adele Children's Medical Group and a private psychotherapist. So hi, Mia, thank you so much for being here. I felt like that was a lot of stuff, so I'm not even sure how you had free time to sit down <laughs> with me this afternoon. How are you doing? I am very good. I'm always uh, honored to, to speak about my, my work outside of my job, honestly, and to share my journey with with grief and loss. So I appreciate the opportunity. Great. I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you. Uh, so first question, how did you become interested in this field? And specifically, what inspired you to write uh, your books on grief? Okay, well, my mother completed suicide when I was 12. And I'm the youngest of, of four children. And so it really was through the, the mishandling, unfortunately, of that experience um, that led me to kind of find my own journey of, of healing, which um, is ongoing, right? Journeys don't have an ending point. So one of the pieces was um, to join a, a support group for women called Motherless Daughters, which was based on Hope Edelman's book, Motherless Daughters. Um, in the late 90s. And in that group, I met another woman whose mother had also completed suicide. And we were the only two people in that group with that experience of how we lost our mothers. And so it really framed for me how different that experience is. And while there were some commonalities and the group was very helpful, um, it also just pointed to the fact that this woman, Judy, and I had a story to tell that was was unique. And so in trying to find books specifically about parent suicide, we didn't really find one that fit what we felt was speaking to that experience. So we just said, oh, let's write a book, you know. Um, and from that moment to holding it in our hands was 10 years, because again, we just did it from a point of 
passion and, and interest. Um, but I think it really was so critical for me to go through that process and, and write that book. Um, the book is also like Motherless Daughters in that we interviewed several people to really create the narrative of the stories and show the, the differences and the similarities in people whose parents had completed suicide. Um, and really to give that perspective of it's it's such a shared experience and that community and uh the the writer judy and i we were always floored at just how honest and open these honestly complete strangers to us would be who volunteered mm. to be interviewed and would be so generous with their time and their stories and the details um, and a, a lot of them, it was the first time they'd ever talked about it. So um, that book really was crucial for me to really solidify grief and loss as my foundational work that I do as a therapist. Um, I do work with a lot of people with anxiety and depression um, and eating disorders. And I've really just come to learn that honestly, no matter what the presenting problem is when I have a therapy patient, grief and loss is, is underneath there in some way, shape or form. And so it's something that we can all relate to. Of course, there's other deaths, um, other losses besides death, and, and those are equally as significant. Um, mm -hmm. And there's also just the, the ongoing, you know, lifespan of us as humans, where we enter different phases of our life and have to let go of, of other parts of our life and evolve in our roles, whatever those may be. So um, I guess a, a, a larger meaning for me in doing this work was to kind of build in some hope and resiliency in the face of ongoing grief and loss in some ways and, and kind of that, that meaning making that we all strive to do. I'm glad that you brought up the the idea that when you're dealing with grief and loss, it's not just about someone passing away. Right. Um, I mean, anticipatory grief, uh, grief of a of a life that um, was never completed, or and I we work with a lot of uh, families who have had children that have died of of an overdose, and mm -hmm. Sometimes there, there's obviously there's an issue of losing a child, but sometimes there's also the issue of, well, I was hoping for grandkids and I had all of these, I had these plans and things that I thought were going to happen. And so not only am I grieving the loss of, say, my son, but I'm also grieving the loss of the fact that I, I won't have grandchildren or we're not going to have them all over uh, for dinner. Correct. Uh, the holidays yeah. and things like that. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that when we talk about grief and loss. Right. We do. Um, and those are the opportunities to really have some self-reflection about why that's important to you. Um, in your example, you know, why does that individual want to be a grandparent so much? What is it about that role that that calls to them? And then to find a way to, in essence, be a, an elderly grandparent type of person in another capacity that would Absolutely. be possible. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the the dedication to your grief journal for kids, it, it ended with this statement that I thought was really meaningful for me. Uh, the quote was, your sadness is real and your pain matters. 
what prompted you to include that statement and how do you think it specifically fits the grief experience for children right so when the publisher asked me if i wanted to do a dedication it was like automatically sure but then i'm like okay wait my audience is eight to twelve year olds so how do i write something that speaks to that um, age group that development level and it was honestly just my own personal experience right of losing a parent at 12 mm. and having it um be like literally explicitly told like we're not going to talk about this and we're not going to deal with this yeah, yeah um and just that message is is so damning and and hurtful and so i just wanted to give that validation to children that their pain is real, their grief is real, their feelings are real. Um, and that's where you have to start with with all of the work that I do with children and adolescents currently. It's, you know, that validation piece and the I hear you, I I I see it, I can feel it. Like, you know, that is that's where I have to start. So you've written two grief books, which are journals. There's the one for adults and then one for children. So it seems um, obvious that you feel that journaling is an important part of the healing process. So why do you think this process is so valuable for people that are experiencing grief? So I hadn't planned on writing any more books. I feel like I would like to, but it was just something that fell into my lap literally and it was during the pandemic that this publisher reached out to me and said basically you've written one book about grief and loss you know now 20 years ago would you consider doing these other type and at first they did want it to be framed in the you know stages of of grief that um we all know it, grief is not linear like that and i i kind of had to a little bit of back and forth of like yes i will write this book, but I want it to be an experience for the reader to feel like they can step in at any point in the book. It's not you start at page one and finish, that they get told that the message of, of your, your journey is where you are right now and your grief is not going to look like anyone else's um, and how you process it and how you digest it and have it become part of you is going to be different. And so I really wanted to write these these journals as a way to be almost like therapy in a book, support in, in a book, support group in a book, you know, again, conveying that sense of you are not alone. This is something that is is just part of our human experience. And here's I'm just offering a way that I know that's been meaningful for me to have some relevance in this loss and, and to take it as a way to learn about myself, about that relationship, about that the entity, whatever was lost, and how I can have some permanence of it in my life and mm -hmm. not, you know, these finalities of things being gone forever because they're just that's just not true so yeah. um i hadn't planned on writing these books but it really the timing was very significant because number one it was covid and we were all collectively grieving and losing so much of our life 
Um, and the second thing that happened is that my father passed away. Um, and so I was really put, you know, in that perspective of like, hmm, okay, now I'm experiencing some loss again. And it, I was able to use that um, to kind of finish out the first book for adults. Hmm. I'm glad that you brought up the the part about grief not being a, a linear process, because I think that's one of the things in the, the people that I've worked with have always felt, you know, sometimes they'll come in and say, well, what stage do you think I'm at? <laughs> and when do I move on to stage three? Right. Uh, when am I going to finish with denial? And have I right. finished anger yet? And if I'm not done with these, does that mean am I done? Have I completed them all? Right. Right. Uh, I know in a in a previous podcast, I talked about how the the process is not like it's not like directions for how to build a bookcase where you go through step one, step two, and then when you get to the end of step ten, you're done. There's a completed product, so to speak, and you're finished. Mm -hmm. that it, it's it's up and down and backwards and sideways, and emotions can change not only from week to week, but from day to day and hour to hour. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always glad when when you know we're reminded of that that the grief process is is definitely individualized and it's certainly not not linear. Correct, and that was the point that I really wanted to educate not just this publisher but my audience in that the stages of grief was developed you know as you know by Kubler Ross for people who were dying actively dying and a way to come to terms with that and so being in the act of dying is different than bereavement. And so um, I think in our Western American culture, there's this sense of, you know, being efficient and being strong and resilient at, at no matter what, at any cost. And the shame of still being affected by a loss, um, you know, months, years, however long afterwards, that there's something wrong with you that you haven't quote, gotten over it. And so um, I've really come to, in my own personal life, broaden my, um, my outlook in terms of healing and look at other cultures mm -hmm. and look at other religions and look at other just, you know, societies that have embraced loss and, and made meaning out of it. And that's, been really helpful for me um, in terms of understanding that it, you incorporate it into your life, you fold it into your life story, and you mm -hmm. don't move on and, and erase it, because then that means that you're erasing the thing that, that you loved, and the whole reason why you're grieving. Yeah, and the work the workbooks are, they're concrete, and they seem to be very direct approaches for navigating grief. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide what content and what prompts were most important and relevant to put in there? Because there's a lot of different ways that you could have gone. Right. So, you know, the, the instructions from the publisher were to educate and, and write about um, the, the journey of grief and then offer some inspirational quotes, some exercises, which means things that you can do outside of the book and then write in prompts that you directly write into the book. And so I really felt like the chapter that dealt with, you know, you're exactly where you're supposed to be and it's okay to feel exactly what you're feeling today because 
that could be radically different than yesterday and probably not the same as tomorrow. Like that was, again, that validation piece, like we talked about to the children's dedication. Like I, I see your pain, I feel your pain and what, whatever you're coming to this journal, this book with today is exactly where you need to be. And if you don't want to even talk about it and, and do anything around your grief, that too is okay. So, you know, a lot of, of permission giving and granting of, of that grace to accept where we are. You had mentioned um, earlier, you'd mentioned the phrase meaning making. So uh, assuming part of your writings and workbooks have been created from a place of meaning making for you, how has that experience been for you in terms of making meaning of what you've experienced um, in terms of grief, your personal experience? Right. Well, so when I wrote the first book about my, my mother's um, suicide, I became a mother during that process. I had my first son. And that really threw me because all of a sudden, here I was a mother with a child writing about my mother who left four children and just feeling like I almost started all over again hmm. with processing her loss and trying to understand it. Um, the other significant thing that happened was that I had pretty bad postpartum depression and had to seek treatment, go to therapy, and I decided to take antidepressants. And so it was really, it was really bad. And it was not, you know, it was hard, but, you know, the, the gift in it, because I do believe there's a lot of gifts in our pain that we, we can see, you know, at the end of it, but the gift was, is that, you know, I got to understand the depths of depression, which is what my mother had along with some other mental health diagnoses that ultimately led her to do what she did. And I had as much, I think as close as I'll get to the perspective of how hard her life was, how much she was suffering. And of course, how a disease that goes undiagnosed and untreated will be fatal, no matter if it's physical or mental. So I really had an appreciation for her, her pain. I had a, a level of understanding that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that it's, it's not painful still that she left my life at, at 12. Um, but I, I've been able to um, understand that her life was more than just her mental health diagnoses. Her, her life was more than how she ended it. And I had a period of life where I almost felt like, you know, a, a detective and trying to track down her old college roommates or just people who knew her to just say like, who was she? Tell me, tell me something about her that I don't know, you know, to be able to feel like, again, she was more than just how she died. And so that helped a lot. Um, and, and it's just been, you know, it's been a, it's been a while now. Um, it's been 40 years. And so, um, I've, I've been able to make some peace with it. Um, it's still painful, you know, your example of a, a patient that, or a, a person that you knew who didn't get the chance to be a grandparent, like my, my kids now don't 
know her as a grandmother and didn't have that opportunity. And that is, that is sad, but I've been able to share the parts of her that I see in them, be able to bridge that connection of, you know, this is how I see you being similar to your, your grandma. Um, and, and as well, I've been able to fill my life with, you know, kind of older women, maternal figures who've just kind of stepped in and, and filled that role. And that's, that's been beautiful. I wouldn't trade that for, for anything, honestly. And so, um, you know, in the, in that book on my mother, there's a whole chapter on forgiveness because mm. that, that one word is, is heavy. It's a big word, you know, and we interviewed, you know, clergy of all different faith about it. And we absolutely interviewed, you know, our participants on forgiveness. And, you know, for me, it just had to come down to acceptance. You know, I, I don't know that it's important for me personally to answer the question of forgiveness. I think it's just more acceptance of her, her life's journey, that, that 47 years was what she was put on this earth to live. And, and she did give more to, to this world than I think people want to give her credit for because of the, the shame and stigma of her mental health. So, um, so again, it's, it's still ongoing that the meaning making that, that I do. Um, and I, and I don't expect that that will ever change, honestly. Wow. That was, uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing that because it's, it's, it's a difficult question to, I wasn't sure if I was going to ask you that just because <laughs> I didn't want to pry, but at the same time, I think being able to share that really gives some insight as to why, you know, why you do what you do. And, and obviously based on the books that you've written, why you're so good at what you do. So Thank I appreciate you. that. Thank you. Um, Thank you again for being here with us. Um, I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, wow, that, I'm sorry, that that last <laughs> answer just kind of blew me away. And there was so many different things I wanted to follow up on. And now I just, I'm, I'm just kind of scrambled with all of them. Well, I, you, know, every... you do your own podcast. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> if there were more than 24 hours in a day, um, but, you know, every time, you know, people learn that I'm an author and they say, oh, what did you write? It's like, okay, <laughs> do we have some time here? And every single time, Rob, someone will say, oh, I know someone who, you know, completed suicide or they just, yeah. they will just share yeah. their journey of grief. And it's just, that has been part of my healing process too. The, the opportunity to sit and share sometimes with complete strangers the commonality of that we all experience this and the healing in in that human connection um it really resonates however brief or or you know small it was and like i said it can be with strangers and it's it resonates and so um that sense that you're not alone and there's that comfort in that in the community so absolutely Mia Roldan, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your schedule for us. Anytime. Thank you, Rob. If you'd like more information on disenfranchised grief in particular, or any grief issues, including options for counseling, please feel free to call us at the Joseph T. 
Quinlan Bereavement Center at 973-948-2283, or you can contact us through the Karen and Quinlan hospice.org slash grief dash matters dash podcast website and reach us through that website. So I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Take care of yourself.